Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, and I'm so happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the July 12th show, Attorney Candace Jones, you can connect with Candace Jones at Facebook and Instagram. You'll find her as The Attorney Next Door and at her website, theattorneynextdoor.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the July 12th show at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is really important that we share this message with the youth. But remember, this is not just for the youth. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, we have another great interview for you guys tonight, and I'm delighted, absolutely delighted to introduce this week's guest. Andrew E. Guy is a phenomenal inspiration to millions. He's a TEDx speaker, author, and thought leader who challenges people to shift their mindsets from limited belief to creating a greater impact of influence and a life with meaning and purpose. Whether he's delivering conference keynotes, facilitating staff development seminars, advising municipal leaders, or empowering students to higher performance, Andrew empowers you to create your greatest impact in the four most important areas of your life. With over 15 years of leadership and staff development coaching, Andrew helps organizations implement effective strategies that create a culture of community. His disruptive, high impact, and highly interactive approach to engaging his audience makes him unforgettable. Organizations request Andrew as their speaker because of his ability to connect with diverse audiences through seminars and insightful learning. As a certified educational consultant, Andrew also partners with school districts to empower educators and students. When he's not on stage leading seminars and workshops, he's busy working on his latest projects and spending quality time with his family. So I would like to welcome Andrew Guy to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you, Andrew, for being on the show. 
Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Well, I am really excited to have you. You are an accomplished person. And so I'm even more interested in your journey. So if you're all set, I'm going to ask my two questions that I used to start off my interviews. Uh-huh. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Andrew E. Guy, who are you? And how did you wow. become who you are today? Wow. Now that's a full question. You should have pre-warned me before this. <laughs> I love the question. Um, you said my name. And I think that I want to start off by saying, um, everyone, um, your fans, your listeners, I'm grateful to be here. And first of all, I'm going to answer the question by saying, I am an individual who's gifted like many of other um, individuals out there, we're all gifted with a particular skill set. And my skill set basically is to help people to create their greatest impact where they live, work, and play. Now that may seem like it's just my topic, my foundational topic that I speak on and I train on, but what have made me who I am is because of the things that I have been through. I'm originally from Jamaica, as many of my people who are listening who are from Jamaica is known as the land of wood and water. And as of late, since you say in both, land of wood and water and speed. <laughs> <laughs> so th there's another element that's added to it. And so um, for me, I had a rough childhood. I speak about that frequently when I um, talk to um, high school or college students when they call me to work with individuals based on mental wellness and we believe i believe personally that much of the wellness um mental problems that we're having can be derived from the past experience that we've had whether we're holding on to them or we have let them go but they have some traumatic effect on who we have become so that's basically me in a nutshell i am andrew guy from jamaica author and speaker and that's just some of the accomplishment but me as an individual I am an instrument that has been used by God to empower other people in a nutshell. Okay. So you mentioned that you had a rough childhood. Would you want to yes. share with, with us a little bit of what you mean by that? Oh, yes. Because I, I, I've, I've never really kind of shy away from that because it is um, part of uh, my testimony. It's part of my, um, what would we call, uh, most of the religious people said that, um, you know, the Bible said basically that they are overcome by the word of their testimony. In layman terms is that you are defined by what you've been through and you're redefined by what you've overcome. My childhood really started uh, when I was in Jamaica. You know, my parents left, so they went to, uh, they came to Canada um, so they can, um, I guess, start a better life like any good parent. And I'm focusing on mom, for example. The reason why that is because she was the, 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 um, the pioneer, she spearheaded the project um, because she wanted to do something better for her children. And um, she left and I was about six years old when she left. Um, I have four sisters and um, another brother. So it's two brothers and four sisters. And we were poor, you know, as we would say in the comedic world, you know, you're so poor, you can't even really afford the, the O or the R, you're just poor, <laughs> you know? And uh, I don't mean that just from a financial perspective, but it can also be a mental perspective also because you, you're, you're so boxed into um, not seeing anything better that you begin to believe there's nothing better coming. Mm -hmm. And so she left and, and I was about six o'clock, got a six um, years old, got up in the morning at about like six o'clock and, and the parent that you had for about six years, um, not 
not there anymore. They're gone. And I was left to um, really hang out, I should say, go from homes to home to home to home to foster home, just bouncing from different foster home. And it was very tough, you know, I received abuse, um, beaten, um, didn't get to go to school that much, didn't know how to read until I was actually 14 years old. I started stringing um, letters together. And so it was tough for me not having my parents there and it was just tough dealing with all the people that you didn't have to, but for the good of a better future, you know, that's what we had to go through. So childhood was really tough. Wow. Okay. So mm -hmm. your siblings, you and your siblings were separated then? Yes, we were. Cause um, not one family member would want to take us. So we had to be split up against uh, among different individual, different homes and so forth. So, and here's the interesting part. Um, <laughs> You may have, there's a saying in Jamaica that said um, seven brothers, seven different minds, but also seven brothers, um, seven different experiences. Um, wow. Because we're in different homes that other brothers and sisters may not know exactly what you've been through. And even though you're family, so when we come back together, we're all now living in Canada. And then when we start talking about our backgrounds, like, whoa, eyes are popping open. Like, what? Are you serious? So it, it's amazing. It's a book that I'm actually working on and it's going to be a, a tearjerker. And so that's part of my background. It makes me more resilient. Mm -hmm. um, I've served as a, a teacher in, um, in Florida, a certified science teacher. And most of my students came from what they call um, at-risk background, troubled background. Most of them were predominantly African-American. So they had problems with these students. They can get them to learn, you can get them to read. And so... I was brought in and I used my story. They said, ah, oh, Mr. Guy, please, you got all these degrees and stuff. I said, let me tell you something. I couldn't read. I couldn't string letters together if someone paid me. And they said, yeah, right. So that caused me to connect with them and individuals on all levels because at one time we struggled with something. So mm -hmm. I told them my story. I let them know if I can overcome, you can too. And so that has been my platform to let people know, create that greatest impact you know, before you check out, because if you check out and no one knew you and you didn't do anything, then you were just passing by and you didn't really live. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. So it's, it's were, full. It's full. You were a teacher in Florida. Yes, I was. Um, and you worked with at-risk youth. Yes. It's part of um, the, the, the curriculum. Um, these were the students that I was given. I was given the, the what they call the troublemakers, the ones who really couldn't make it, who viewed as um, we need help. You know, it was a Title mm -hmm. I school, by the way. I'm not sure if you understand Title I. Um, they have like um, subsidy funds and so forth. Like they may get free lunch. Students may not be able to pay for lunch or afford lunch. It's that kind of um, um, neighborhood I was in. Okay. And yes. how long did you teach there? Um, I think around six years around there, yes. But ever since I've been on the stage teaching uh, in different school districts from a bigger stage, basically, I would go into the schools and work with the students one-on-one -on -one or in a group, work with the teachers doing um, PDF, PD professional development for the teachers to help them connect with these specific students. So, yes. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. So what is it that you found um, was the biggest challenge working with the at-risk students and along with that what were your colleagues what were your were your fellow teachers doing <laughs> tell me when you want me to stop laughing okay <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, seriously. Um, well, I laugh because it, it is so funny, you know, but is the question is very poignant and I want to address that. Um, one of my biggest challenge, it wasn't really a challenge. It was really an eye opener. So Michelle, let me tell you, you know, not everyone that is a teacher, you know, is for the betterment of the child or the student. And um, that was an eye-opener for me. When I realized that not every teacher is there for the student, many of them are just there for their check because it's a secure job, providing that, you know, you do what you need to do. It, it, it seems as if um, at one point, and I'm just looking at this from my lens, right? And I looked at my child and I said, I didn't have, I didn't get to go to school, even though I maybe went to school probably one day a week, if that, mm-hmm. right? So... And I look at these students and say, you're here every day. You have shoes on your feet. I didn't have that. I said, wow, you, you don't have all the luxuries and stuff, but you have a warm lunch if you want to. And I'm looking at all the, the pluses. And I said, wow, you got a lot to work with here. Let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. I would, um, after school, have motivational speaking um, session just for my students, have study hall for them. I would spend, you know, umpteen amount of hours just drilling them down, putting them down to exercises, to work, to math, through science, through reading, all of these different things. Because I said, I refuse to be here and leave this school the way I saw it. That's impact. And it's been part of my life. But the eye opener was like, um, don't be shocked if you, it seems like you're the only one that just want these children to make it. I'm not the only one. There were a few other teachers that were there, but there were some, there were some bad apples there. And it was an eye opener, especially when you're inside the, um, what would we call it now? The, the faculty lunch, the lounge, mm-hmm. because that's when you hear, Oh, I can't believe I have such and such in my class again. I can't stand that child. I'm like, how dare you? So I stopped sitting in the faculty lunch. Oh, wow. Yes. It's, it, it was something else. Because the energy wasn't, the wasn't energy, wanted to take in. Yeah, it was a vacuum. Wow. <laughs> you know, you ever heard of the, you know, you know, the black hole? This was, the, I feel like I was the black person going through the hole and they couldn't see me. It was <laughs> energy out of, the, uh, out of the, um, the air. When they finish talk about these students and then they get up and say, oh, by the way, child, um, the bell is gone. So I got to get back to it again. I said, why don't you just go do something else? You know, it was. It was somewhat frustrating at time, but at the time, it allowed me to see a different perspective. And, um, you know, uh, let me just add this, uh, Michelle, that I started speaking to students and speaking to teachers, and they elected me to be the, um, the PD person that basically go around and, and speak to the teachers, help them with connecting with the students. And I said, one of the foundational principles I gave them, I said, you know, I said, Michelle, I said, listen to me, guys. You are banking on your pension plan as teachers. Yes, your pension looks amazing. Yes, we have a great plan, but don't bank on that. Your real pension are the students that are in front of you, Mm. and that's your inheritance. And if you don't put out your best foot forward to make sure you are painting a proper future, then the one that you're going to see in the mirror, you're not going to be happy when you get there. So make sure you invest in what you see right now because... Your students are your pension plan. They are your future. And if you don't look at them now as that, you will have missed your future. See, I just, I need to thank you for something. And what I need to thank you for is I was starting to think maybe I was a little bit nutty because I perceived as a parent uh, of three kids who went through public schools. Three children. Three, three, three of my, I have three children. Yes, three kids. 
And they, um, so I have three of them. They've gone through the public school system and I've had children in, in private schools. I've had them in schools in other countries. So I've had a lot of experience with different types of teachers. And I remember in the public school system going, yeah, you're not really wanting to be here. I remember <laughs> looking at some of these teachers going, you're not really trying to be here. Exactly. And, but they try to play the parents like they're crazy. Right. <laughs> if you say uh, something like, no, you're not, you're not really trying to, to help. You're like a, a hindrance. You're, a, you're exactly. a problem. And they get very angry with you. Um, so yeah. I appreciate you at least coming clean on that part because I was starting to think I was a little nutty. Uh, no, you are. You are not. <laughs> Although, as I tell my children, just because I'm crazy doesn't mean I'm wrong. So no, no. <laughs> not at all. I think one of the great questions you want to ask any teacher is um, this out of the blue, just throw them a loop. Um, do you want to be here? Mm-hmm. And leave it right there. Exclamation, ellipses, do you really want to be here? and leave it like that, open-ended. Okay, let's continue with um, the parent-teacher meeting. Just ask right. And you want to see if there's beads of sweat that come up on the forehead, if they're uneasy, all of a sudden they have spikes in the chair that they can't sit on. You really hit a nerve. You understand what I'm talking about. That's, wow. That's <laughs> wow. Well, so, so the teachers and the students basically wanted you to go and work with, with the teachers and what did that look like? What does that look like when you go and work with teachers and, and hear what they have to say and then about their experience in the classroom and then you try to help them figure out how to make that a better experience for themselves and for the students? Well, the first thing I try to do, I try to first connect. I wanna let them know that I am not here to point a finger at you. Um, remember what I said earlier on, seven brothers, seven different experiences are seven different minds because mm -hmm. your mind is shaped by our past experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So it, is, um, it would be quite intrusive of me to come in and say, well, you know, you're not doing a good job as a teacher. I begin with a diagnostic question. Do you want to be here? <laughs> That's my mm, question. Wow. And then, and I always ask it. Do mm. you want to be? Keep it real with yourself, all right? I said, I'm a black man. I can't get no blacker than this. I, I don't even get suntan. I got sun 15. You know what I'm saying? I said, this, this be so real. I said, do you want to be here? I said, keep it real with me. I said, if you cannot answer that question for real, then you're going to waste your time with this PD session. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be here? And if you want to be here, then I'll help you understand how to be here. I told him, I said, you know, I only talked for like six years in the school, you know, but the thing is, my first year, within about eight months, I was teacher of the year. I said, I'm not here to toot my horn. I said, it's because I came there because I wanted to leave an impact. I didn't want to leave the students the way I saw them because I knew this was part of my future. And I need to make sure that I did what I was supposed to do and leave it different. Mm -hmm. But that said, I asked, I said, do you want to be here? Some will say yes. And I said, if you're thinking about it, don't even put an answer now because you're going to waste my time trying to read that question, right? Mm -hmm. The ones who want to be here, I said, okay, fine, then why do you want to be here? Yes, I want to make a difference. Okay, wonderful. I said, what, uh, the next question is, what are you struggling with? And then they'll say, well, um, some of the kids are not listening to me. Some of the kids are rude. Some of the kids come from um, troubled background. I said, all right. I said, what do you think that is? He said, well, some of them don't have two parents. Some of them have one parent. Some of them have no parent at all. I said, great. These are wonderful diagnostic questions. I said, have you ever sat down after your class and just have a get real moment 
nobody even know what a get real moment is. This is something right. I did when I was in the school, and it's not something that's copywritten. It's just my way of saying, okay, let's talk with instead of two. And just before the bell rang, I would set aside probably like five minutes or 10 minutes or something like that, depends on how thick the situation is and how deep we have to go. And I said, if the floor is open, the only thing you cannot do up in here is cuss up in here. You understand what I said? Apostrophe C-U-Z, you understand what I'm saying, right? I said, don't cuss in here. I said, just tell me what's on your mind. What are you going through? And then students are opening, tears are coming down. And then they're flowing with all of these emotions and teachers haven't even connected with them because they have so much blockage inside of them. Like a, it's almost like a faucet wanting to just um, flow, but something is blocking it. And these are what I call hurts. Teachers need to take time out to understand the students that they're dealing with. I said, you cannot save everyone, but you can save someone. And that someone can make a difference in anyone. So start with someone, find out what they're going through and you don't have to be a psychologist. Lead them to the, the right place where they can get help. So let's start with a diagnostic question. Are you spending that extra five minutes with your students? Or are you just glad for the classroom to get, I mean, be over and send them on their way? So only a few of them would do it. So I had to give them some strategies on how they can just start this conversation, this connective conversation to get students to open up. But that's how you'll be able to help them. Well, and do you find that, you know, are you finding that it's difficult for teachers to transition to that extra level? I mean, what kind of, what, I would imagine it's that they might feel like, well, why do I have to do that? Why aren't, you know, I don't know what their challenge, you know, what their blockages are with that, but what are you finding that teachers are having difficulty with, with giving that extra time? Is it just they're exhausted? Well, I can, I can I'll, I'll answer that. First of all, um, I like the first question. You said, um, why do I have to do that? Uh, because if you're there, it's part of your job. And if you do the extra stuff, it will help make your job easier or easy -E, if, if you understand what I'm saying, right? Right, right. So if you put in the little extra, it will make tomorrow. If you put in the extra today, it's going to make tomorrow even easier because that child that um, you say have a behavioral issue, the behavioral issue could simply mean that that child is looking for attention. And if you give it the right attention, guess what? You can basically empower the child to become a, a leader in your classroom. And to add a little bit to the, the, um, the conversation is that I would ask somebody, someone, one of my students would be acting out and say, I pull him aside. I said, let me talk to you in the hallway. I said, what's up, man? What's going on? Oh, man, Mr. Guy, you don't know what's going on. They always talk like that. Mr. Guy, you don't know what's going on, man. You don't know what be going on. I said, what be going on? I said, Mr. Guy, you making fun of my language. I said, I'm not making fun of your language. Give me what be going on. That's the no. And that sparked a smile. They're like, Mr. Guy, you cool, man. What am I saying to you? Yes, I have a master's degree, dual bachelor's, working on a doctorate, but I have never arrived at a location where I cannot take off my shoe and walk on the bare foot and touch the ground. What am I saying to you? You cannot get too high where you can't go down low and meet that individual in their point of hurt. Right. See, what's going on? Keep it real with me. Don't hide anything, man. That's the only way I can help you, man. I said, Mr. Guy, you know, this ain't happening at home. Uh, um, that dude over there in the corner keeps on picking me picking at me. This person, after I leave school, Mr. Guy, a whole bunch of them and their friends are waiting for me to fight me, Mr. Guy. I said, 
it's you for real. So I'm learning the language too, right? So I'm right. Like, you for real? Is that the guy? You said it is. Didn't you just tell us that you use that word? <laughs> so I'm connecting with you. You understand? It's like, I, I feel that. I feel that. I said that. <laughs> so therefore, there is fear. And so mm-hmm. that fear outside of the walls, then, you know, is causing you to act out. I said, what can we do to help you? Because kids always have some idea of the kind of help that they need. And then I said, okay, fine. Let me go over that self-empowerment to let you know that you don't have to live in fear. Because other people are putting fear in you, so you don't have to live in fear. We go over self-esteem, who you are, what you were created to do. I said, listen, you have more going for you than that's happening against you. And then I get them to do like a vision board. I said, what do you want to become? I said, if there were no limitation, what would you be? Okay, that should be against the law. I'm just sorry. I'm just saying that. <laughs> against the law? For yeah, what? the pineapple. And the, I'm sorry. We got to. I know. We're gonna Michelle, help I, know I know you're not saying that. I know you're not yeah. saying that. Let me tell you yeah. something. If you try this, your eyes will be open. <laughs> <laughs> and you will see what I've been seeing. Like in the Bible, Elisha prayed for the servant for his eyes to be open. He looked around. He said, there is more for us than those against us. Are you serious? You put a little pineapple on that there pepperoni, your eyes will be open. <laughs> you will give the Martin Luther King speech. My eyes have seen the coming. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. But um, <laughs> when I get the kids, the, the students said the same thing, Mr. Guy, you crazy. I said, you haven't tasted it. You have. You don't know until you walk in this shoes. I'm saying it's beautiful. Because they're enemies. The pineapple and the pepperoni, they don't mix. But when you put them together, you force them to work together. Oh, it's beautiful. You got to taste it. <laughs> beautiful. Well, let me ask you about that. So, so you said something that intrigues me. Talk to me. What's up? You said that the children, the kids have an idea. They usually have an idea of what kind of help they need. You are absolutely correct. And How did you come to that conclusion? How did you, how did you come to that and... What kinds of things do you find that the kids are asking for? Oh, it's a beautiful question. I knew you planned that one. Wow. You should have sent me the email before. But anyway, <laughs> when the best way, especially for myself in professional development, the best question you can ever ask someone is, how can I help you? That is the gold standard of not customer service, but people service. You see, people come up with this customer service terminology, but you're really not serving customers. You're serving people. And if you serve people, 
you're really serving yourself because whatever you hand out, one day you will be the recipient of the seed that you sow. So mm -hmm. when I asked him, I said, um, how can I help you? They always say, I don't know. That's when they're upset. They just haven't really calmed down enough to really open up and start speaking. I said, okay, man. If there was only one thing that I could do to help you today, to alleviate whatever you're feeling, what would it be? Well, Mr. Guy, you talked to that fool over there. That's if they're dealing with another student, right? So you mm -hmm. tell that fool, you better leave me alone. I said, okay. Now, what are they trying to tell you? They said, listen, they need some intervention. That's the teacher word. I said, okay. right. Some intervention. In a what, Mr. Guy? In a what? I didn't invent nothing. I didn't make nothing yet. <laughs> I said, uh, I ain't saying you made nothing, Einstein. I said, <laughs> to intervene in a what? And then that tells me that the child needs some help in their vocabulary. So right. then I'll go to the librarian and I select some books. I said, okay, fine. On the last day of the week, Friday, we're going to spend the last 20 minutes of the period just reading, increasing our vocabulary. What do you do? You empower the child that doesn't matter what area they may end up or find themselves. They know how to speak. That's why Andrew Guy speaks. It's not a cliche. If you cannot articulate what you need, you cannot get help. And so it's empowering them. I said, what can I do? Some will say, this guy, that person bothered me. Then I need to intervene. I need to translate. I said, oh, that person needs intervention. He said, this guy, I don't know what to do here. Then that person needs explanation. Then you have to break down the big topic and make it small enough so they can bite on it, bite size. Break the elephant down and give them just a chunk of that fat. I say you could put some gravy on that. You ain't gonna eat the elephant. Think of it as a chicken, right? And then you can break down that thigh, okay? Get some bread with that now. Right. And that's how we talk. And they're like, Mr. Guy, you crazy. You always making stuff up. I said, okay. I said, okay, let me break it down. So, would you eat the chicken whole by itself? No, Mr. Guy. Why not? I said, well, I choke. I said, wonderful. Your problems are the same way. If you have a problem that is so big and insurmountable, I said, write that word down. He said, yeah, write it down. Insurmountable, because <laughs> they're, they're getting taught too. I said, if right. it's so big that you cannot handle it, then guess what? You're going to be overwhelmed. Over what? Write that word down. That tells me where they are. And right. if you don't know where someone is, you can't help them to where they're supposed to be. I said, right. then you get overwhelmed. And then you get frustrated. Oh, you just got frustration. I know that. They know that word. Right. Frustrated, and then now instead of interacting on a positive note, then the frustration now you take it out on someone else because you don't understand what the other person is also going through. Everyone is going through something. The greater understanding you have for yourself and for the other person, the easier it is for you to gel and have a conversation. So we're working on vocabulary to help them understand. Hey. These are some words that you will hear. If your teacher uses that, it doesn't mean that you're dumb because you don't know it. It means that they haven't taken the time to find out what you don't know because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And when somebody help you, then guess what? They're raising for another level. Well, you said a couple of things that I want to hit on. Talk to one, me. Talk to me. one is I, you know, part of my background is software training. Okay. And I used to say all the time, my job as a trainer is to translate. Yes. Yes. That's powerful. Because people come into my software class, they don't understand my terminology because they are not in my industry. All right. So I have to figure out what they do understand and find a way to relate it and communicate to them so that they can then understand and learn the software. That's the art of teaching. 
That's the art of teaching. The art of teaching is like an art. You're painting this big picture. So you have all these students coming. They are part of the puzzle. And your goal is to put that puzzle together to paint a picture. And when you paint that picture, you turn it back around and you show them and say, this is what I see. You can be anything you want to be, but the choice is yours. Let me help you get that. Who wants to help? All hands go. Well, the other thing that you said indicates that you were not down south long enough. What does that mean? Okay. Because you said... <laughs> Let me see if I can. She's gonna put me out on the street now. Let me see if I can read. Let me see if I can read the the handwriting a little bit better. If you cannot articulate what you need, you can't get help. The southern way of saying that would be closed mouth, don't get fed. What's your mouth, girl? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I heard that one time on Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey was said, "Closed mouth, don't get." You got the you right. And, and the other part of that is that the fish won't get caught if he closes his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> if you no, keep your mouth closed, I love the way I love the way you you think about um, teaching because it's really about sharing. It's really about you know helping people to open up. It's really about mm-hmm. you know communicating more than anything else. It's not just about a transfer of knowledge. No, it isn't. You cannot transfer the knowledge at the source. Your knowledge, basically, is really like this. Your knowledge is a seed. The students are the soil. But if you haven't tilled the soil, prepare the soil, even if you have the best seeds and they're made out of gold or platinum, they will not grow because the soil has not been prepped for you to sow into it. And then after you sow it, here it is now, as a good farmer, you don't just sow it and leave it. You have to nurture. You got to water. You got to empower. You got to inspire. You got to tell them, hey, listen, I put a seed inside of you. I'm trying to tell you, and I see it's going to be amazing. And I'm just trying to make sure you know this because I want to make sure the seed doesn't get killed. I have to keep watering it. And then one day, you may not be around to receive it, but it's going to benefit someone along the way. That's looking, that's teaching it and leading it forward. It's not always about yourself. You may not get even get. Martin Luther King is not even alive today. But when he said, I had a dream, he's saying, you, if you see what's in my mind, you would be up here talking. You come and grab this mic. If you see what's in my mind, it's far beyond color. It's far beyond race. It's far beyond sitting in the shop. It's far beyond all oh, the dogs are chasing. It's far beyond the N-word. There are other N-words out there. Nobody, nothing, neither, neither. There's a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. But don't focus on where you are. Focus on where you want to be and get help. Learn what you don't know so you can know what you need to know to get to where you want to be. So now that makes me ask the question. Talk to me, Michelle. Do you ever hear from any of your old students? Oh, man. <laughs> yes. One guy emailed no, sorry, one girl emailed me because let me tell you, I have to, you know, as a teacher and as a speaker and as a as a, as a as a person who wants to see someone um, better than they are, um, to help them create the greatest impact, it's hard for me to just answer a question like Michelle. I got to give you the whole story behind this thing, right? When I was trying to chop it down. But you know, what I did with my class, what made my class work, what I teach teachers, by the way, I said, you need to run your class like a business. I said, you need to find out who the leaders are in your class. You got to select a secretary or an administrator. Don't call them secretary anymore, an administrator. 
And then you have to find out if you have any problem with, with dressing, because you know, um, some of the girls come into class and they think they go to a club. I say they didn't have nothing here. Did I get the southern part right? Which Okay. Uh, yeah, that sounded good, but you know. You, Thank you. I need work. I need work. I need work. I need yeah, work. you're doing pretty well, though. <laughs> so anyway, so I said, you ain't coming up in here with that? They said, Mr. Guy, you said that right. You said something. I said, okay. I sure did. Did I say it right? And I said, Mr. Guy, you need to say it like this. I said, okay. <laughs> but anyway, and then it became a problem. Some of the dudes came in there with their pants hanging off their knees. I said, it ain't happening here, guys. I'm serious. So for the dudes, this is what I did. I said, okay, how many of you inside here, dudes only, put a hand up that see a girl that they have liked in this class? You let me see how you gonna put us out here like that? I said, seriously, let's be honest now. I see hands going. I said, hold on now, let me give you a scenario. It was a fire, right? And imagine that this girl that you love, this is like wifey material. And you think, wow, maybe I married this girl one day. And she was trapped in the fire. God forbid. And you were the only person that was in the vicinity. This is a vicinity, what? <laughs> was close by <laughs> and able to save this person or oh, rescue this person. What would you do? Listen, I would have saved that chick. You know, I said, who's the chick? I said, lady, right? Said, say lady. He said, this guy, you don't want to talk about. I said, no, say lady. Say, I would have saved that lady at a drop of a hat. I said, okay, let's demonstrate. I said, now, I said, get up from where you are. I said, don't even pick on the lady. Just find somebody else. Because we didn't want to call anybody out. So we, we have to act it out. I said, there's a fire. I'm going to say, fire! And I'm going to see what you're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to time you, because I'm a science teacher. I'm going to time you and see how long it takes for you to reach from your neck of the woods to where she is and see how long it takes for you to save her. And if the time is less than what it would take for you to save her, then she'll be dead. Right? I said, you know what's holding you back? Your pants become a handcuffs, and so you cannot move. So if you want to save that woman, you pull your pants up right now, put it on your behind, and be ready. So that means if something go down up in here, you are carrying out that woman underneath your armor. And she goes, my, my shining armor. <laughs> she gonna love you because you save her. You said, what you saying? I said, your pants down low is a burnt up future wife, and you won't be having any. And he's like, this is a guy, you for real. I said, I'm not even for real. I'm five real, dude. <laughs> Let me say, I got it, I got it. And then what I do, that person, I pull up their pants, I selected that person, I pull them aside, I say, hey, man, I need some help with the dress code up in here, man. I said, your boys are coming here, man. They're acting like thugs. I said, they're not M&M, and, and they're not even chocolate. Nobody even knows that they will be purchased them if they're in a package, in the store. He said, Mr. Guy, say stove. All right, in the stove. You know what I'm talking about. I said, listen, I need your help. He said, what you need, Mr. Guy? I said, I need you to help me, man. I said, when the kids are lined up in the day, you go, I want you to call your boys to the side and say, hey, man, you know, Mr. Guy, I don't like that. You can't come up in Mr. Guy's class like that. Come on, man, pull that pants up. He ain't need to see your drawers. You ain't need to watch that in a week. Come on, man, fix up. And what they did was they helped me out dealing with the dress code, and I didn't have to speak to anyone. So anyone, none of those students have to feel belittled because I spoke to them about the dress code. I started with the dudes first. And then when that was in place, I moved to the ladies. I pick a lady. I said, listen now, listen here, please. Don't come up in here dressing like that. The one that fixed up, I said, all right, I need your help. I didn't have to talk to you a long time. You said, you volunteered to, to make the change. I said, I need you to help me make some other change. They followed suit. They did the same thing. I implement my dress code officers, male and a female. I don't have that problem in my class anymore. And so wow. I empower them. Other students, I said, I empower them. Make sure everyone has a pencil eraser 
Those who don't have, you're going to be my material person. And then I give them everything that they need. You're going to be my data person. So when I'm doing science class, I need you to make sure everybody's data is right. They got all the pencil, the gadget, calculators, everything. My class was running like a business tick tock. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating. I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful, the work that you are doing. I mean, I know you work with organizations. I know you also work with um, schools. Do you work with individuals? Yes, I work with individuals because you know what? Before we become a community, we're individual. Before we become a family, we are an individual. Before we get married, we were one person. And so I think that I've heard um, Dr. Miles Monroe from NASA Bahamas once said, that a marriage is only as good as the individual, or an omelet is only as good as the egg. That it makes. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said, in order for them to become a, become a better teacher, in order to become a better supervisor, become a better leader in their industry or area of influence, I said, you know what? Let's work on the individual first. And so I do um, coach. I do have individuals that call in, and I'm, I'm on Zoom. Some are on Skype. I think I'm going to use Zoom now because Zoom is so clear and it seems like you're right next door sitting next to me. So I'm going to switch over to Zoom. But I have individuals um, based, some are lawyers, some are doctors, some are medical professionals, and um, we go over the same thing. Some may have family issues, some may have um, corporate issues, and we talk about it. I founded a company called Excel to Wellness, Excel Mm -hmm. number two wellness. And I go into um, helping these individuals with their fitness level. I call it wellness, not just fitness. So you can get fit for a sport, but wellness is a lifelong process. So I work with them one-on-one. I talk to them about, you know, drinking water, getting adequate amount of water, taking multivitamins, making sure that you're stretching every day to increase range of motion within your joint space, lubricating your joint through movement. Um, Because of the synovial fluid that moves between the joint space, it prevents you from having arthritis and all these different things. So I talked to them about that. So yes, I do have individuals that I work with on a one-on-one basis. So if someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they get in touch with you, Andrew? Oh man, they could go to andrewguyspeaks.com. They go to andrewguyspeaks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michelle, we got to do this again. I am sorry. We got to do this again. Seriously, but um, they would go to um, andrewguyspeaks.com. They just click on... Um, contact or book Andrew, fill out the information and send it to me. And it comes directly to my booking manager and then my booking manager will say, okay, fine, this is what the person wants. And then we'll find out what they need. I'll send them out some information, just some diagnostic questions. Okay, fine, how can I help you? The most important question on earth, how can I help you? What can I do for you? They answer those questions, probably like five questions and I'll find out what they need and say, okay, fine. And then are you an in-person person? If you're overseas, then we can do this online. You have connection in terms of internet. Do you want to do this Zoom or what do you want to do? And then we find out what their um, technical background is. And if you're able to meet online, then I'll meet online. And like I'm talking to you right now. We awesome. Find out what the issues I have. Awesome. And can people catch up with you on social media? Where can they find you? You know, I try to be social. You know, Michelle? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's because of your personality. I'm very, um, I try to be as happy as I can because I think happiness basically is not something that somebody do for you. It's what you do for yourself and in yourself, by yourself, for yourself so you can impact other people. So I'm laughing a lot. So um, <laughs> they will find me on um, Instagram, you know. Okay. You like the way I say that, right? Gram. So yes. Anyway. So you got to say IG like the kids. I think they say IG. They say IG? I think they say IG. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it. Or I'm the gram. 
Okay. Yeah, the gram, all right, gram cracker. That's what it is. You know, <laughs> bring some milk with that. So they can find me on Instagram. That is Andrew Guy Speaks. They can find me on Twitter, Andrew Guy Speaks. And they can find me on my Facebook page. Um, go like me, share me, whatever. I got tons of stuff out there. And that's the only place that I'm different on social media. It's Andrew E. Guy Speaks. That's on my um, Facebook. But everywhere, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. They can find me also on LinkedIn, but that's small business stuff. But they can find me out there. Just tap in and then send me a shout out. Awesome. Awesome. Andrew E. Guy, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. It has been a blast. Thank you so much. So you guys know it's summer and we've been taking some time off to enjoy time with our families. So we're going to have a True Talk repeat, an encore presentation from December of 2018, right after this announcement. I know building a website can be intimidating, but you need a place where your audience can connect with you. Instead of fighting with technology, try the easiest, most flexible website builder available. With templates for all types of websites, ranging from landing pages to e-commerce, Urban Book Editor's platform makes creating an author website quick and easy. Just add a section, upload your photos and videos, type your text, and you're in business. It couldn't be easier. And if you sign up for an annual plan, you can get 10% off the first year. Just use discount code FIRSTYEAR. That's one S-T-Y-E-A-R. The number one, S-T-Y-E-A-R, in all caps. Take advantage of the 14-day free trial. No credit card is needed. Visit urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website from the menu bar at the top of the page. All right, so we are back no more struggling with, with technology. Julia Black no and more paying a small fortune to developers. Talk. Create Julia, beautiful websites welcome. without Thanks for joining me. Code. Thanks for having me. Spend more time writing well, and less time worrying about your website. Spend a little time. Just go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author the Website. Things that it does You'll for see your how easy it is so to build a great website to showcase and your work. Go to urbanbookeditor.com you know, and select Create Your Author Website course, today. Well, from my perspective, you know, and yours as, as, a, as an editor as well you know, understanding the language and things of that nature. But there's much more to um, what reading does for us, right? Yeah, there's actually really a lot more. Um, one of the things, one of the most interesting things, um, I think, recently, um, is they've proven um, with some scientific studies that reading, um, reading books helps children and people in general learn empathy and learn how people are feeling and how to, how to better um, acknowledge other people's feelings. Um, that's one thing. I think there's the, there's kind of a logical stuff too, just with increasing knowledge, um, that kind of a thing. Um, for me, I was always a giant, giant fan of novels. I always had my head in some kind of fictional book. Uh, and as I got, as I majored in English and started teaching and started reading more, I realized that for me, uh, I, most of my learning about how 
I interact with the world came from novels is that it was a lot easier for me to learn from other people's mistakes if I had my nose in a book um, because there was no way that I was going to be able to make so many mistakes that I learned as many lessons as I could from just reading a lot of different types of novels and learn from the characters' mistakes. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. And in fact, that reminds me of something that my daughter always, my, my middle child in particular, is always reading, constantly reading. And I think that for her, sometimes I think that's one of the connections is not just kind of the escapism of uh, novels, but also kind of seeing how other people feel about things. And that's why, particularly, I think for uh, like middle, middle school age and high school kids, reading different types of books, different types of fiction books in particular, really does help them kind of come into who they are as people. You know, there are always those books that kind of change your life or really change your outlook on things or really color the way that you view the world. And I think that's the prime time when that happens. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think there's a lot, and particularly with... um, kind of middle school age books there are so many really good ones that have been out in the last that have come out in the last 20 years um i think that really did that that really have gotten a lot of students kind of back into reading um, or at least turn them on to reading the harry potter series um the whole hunger Games series um you know and you have the the Inkheart series is another one too Um, oh i haven't heard of that one oh yeah that's by a german author uh, and, and my kids were, were heavy into the Inkheart series. Yeah, there's a lot. There really is. I mean, there's the traditional ones too, right? You, I mean, when, when I was a kid, it was kind of the Nancy Drew Babysitter's Club. Um, <laughs> you know, there were all of these kinds of different mystery type things. Um, you, ha- you know, there was a lot of Catherine Patterson and you know, A Wrinkle in Time and a lot of different books that really did suck me in um, and kind of um, got me thinking about the world in a different way. And when I, you know, and I, I grew up in a, you know, in, in suburban Southern California, so I wasn't downtown LA, you know, I wasn't kind of in the city um, and lived a relatively kind of sheltered existence where I was. Um, and reading really did kind of open things up for me and got me to, you know, experience things in a way that I couldn't in my suburban Southern California town. Well, you know what, for me, I mean, it's funny. I I love Nancy Drew and all that too. In fact, my first cookbook was a Nancy Drew cookbook, (laughs) uh, just for the record. Um, But I loved the classics. I really, I used to love sitting down and reading Shakespeare, um, particularly the comedies. Mm-hmm. I loved Jane Eyre. I loved, you know, Edith Wharton. I love, you know, I loved, I loved yeah. all of that kind of stuff. You know, classic American and classic British lit. Yeah, is what I read a lot of. Maybe because that's just, you know, Wuthering Heights. You know, my yeah. mom gave me all of those, and I used to love short stories by O. Henry and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And O'Henry in particular, from a short story perspective, was really good at kind of 
some of the stories about how people feel, you know, and, and, and getting into each other's uh, space, kind of understanding one another. Mm -hmm. And then of course I like the dark stuff, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, you go through your angsty, your angsty teens. Yeah. And see those for me didn't really, those, those were introduced to me in high school and I did kind of fall in love with them at that point. And I was also, and that, you know, Withering Heights and Edgar Allan Poe and kind of the darkness of those actually got me into true crime novels. Um, which, uh, and actually not true crime novels, but true crime books. Um, and my mom, you know, didn't care. She, my mom just cared that I was reading. She didn't care what it was, you know. Right. Well, and that is important. You yeah. Know, really important. You know, it, yeah, it was, you know, and it was. So she, we'd walk into a, we'd walk into a bookstore um, or a library and I'd say, can I, you know, can I read these? And she's like, yeah, if you want to read them, that's fine. You know, and it, and it was, and it was a big difference between that and kind of what some of my other friends were experiencing where a lot of their parents put their foot down about, no, you can't read that. That's inappropriate. Um, you know, and as oh, long yeah. as, you know, and as long as they did, you know, and, and my, for me, as long as I didn't have nightmares and it wasn't keeping me up at night, I read it. <laughs> well, it you know, what's funny when you say that it made me think of the Judy Bloom. I'd forgotten. I used to love reading Judy Bloom, mm-hmm. and I actually had, you know, accidentally left the Ju- one of the Judy Bloom books at a friend's house and her dad came over to the house very angry about that book and I was like okay uh <laughs> you know what I was I was stunned that anybody could be that upset about what really I thought was harmless and really I think valuable for us to read mm-hmm. especially since parents didn't talk about anything back then so right. um but I think reading the books is it does it's great in terms of our brain development and 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 things like that. But also for me, the big thing is expanding our vocabulary mm-hmm. and helping us to understand language. And that's one of the places that you know that I have an issue with these days. We've talked mm-hmm. about this offline a, a lot about how I feel like sometimes you ask a question particularly of people in different service positions or, you know, like, you know, I was dealing with different government stuff this week, you know, and all that. And you ask a question and they're answering everything except what you asked. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is this because you do not understand the words coming out of my mouth? You know, or what, I don't understand what the communication gap is. Because if I ask you what is essentially a yes or no question, why am I getting this other kind of answer that doesn't even address what I'm asking you? Yeah. I worry that because we are, I think we're reading a lot in this country now, but we're reading very short, not very in-depth, not very challenging pieces online quickly, which is great for gathering mm-hmm. information quickly, but not really great for helping us to think and making us really think through what something means. And I yeah, and I think part of, part of that, too, I think when it comes to reading stuff online, um, and pretty, when we're talking about news stories, I mean, every, every, every news agency, every media agency has a bias. And if you're not taught how to read for those kind of loaded words, 
Um, and so, you know, I can generally read an article and tell you if they lean left or if they lean right, lean right, or if, or what the bias is on the author, even if, even if they're leaving out stuff that I, that I think is kind of an important part of it. Um, but reading anything, whether it's a novel or a nonfiction book or, um, you know, even magazine articles or, you know, anything really, um, it's going to kind of open your mind, get your vocabulary going, like you said, um, you know, and kind of get you to think. I think it's important to read things that are, that make you stop and think for a minute and make you ponder about whether or not you agree with it. Um, you know, and that, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people just don't do. They, they read something and they regurgitate it, um, in a, to somebody else or in a, in a debate or, you know, a, you know, kind of a political debate or whatever, without stopping to really think about whether they agree with it or, um, or whether it seems plausible. Well, I think there's a more fundamental issue. I mean, there's the whether or not you agree with it, but I think the more important issue is whether or not you understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to, I think that's really where my concern is, is less about whether or not you agree with an issue, because I read tons of stuff and there's some things I don't care one way or another what the author's Mm -hmm. perspective is. You know, I'm reading it just to hear what somebody else has to say, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, just to Oh, okay, that's an opinion that's out there. Okay, cool. I, I don't really have to agree or disagree. I can just observe something. But the question is, do I understand what they're saying? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, I think people are reading things and not even understanding them. So that's why you will have such vehement views on issues sometimes where people seem confused. I, I think there's a lot of that going on. People talk about misinformation. I'm not sure if it's really an issue of misinformation so much as not understanding the information that's actually out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course there is misinformation as well, but I mean, I think there's a huge issue of us just not understanding what we're reading. Mm-hmm. And of course, for all the folks who want to be writers, this is really important because you really do need to be an astute reader. It's not saying that you have to spend every minute of every day reading, but you do have to be an astute reader in Mm -hmm. order to be a good writer, I think, or to become better at the craft of writing. Yeah. Learn a lot about storytelling. You learn about Mm -hmm. engaging people. You learn what you like and what you don't like in terms of style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's important to read things kind of going along with that. Read things that go out of your comfort zone, you know, particularly if you read novels. Like, I was I was really big, kind of a snobby reader. Um, and only, you know, for, you know, I, I went through these phases where first I only read, you know, kind of literature, things that I deemed as literature, you know, Russian novelists or, you know, the Bronte sisters or Shakespeare or Chaucer or something like that. Um, I never really went into like the fantasy genre and never, you know, when I was teaching, I taught high school for a few years. And when I was teaching, all of my students were reading Harry Potter and I kind of refused to, to read any fantasy up to that point. And so many of them 
were reading it that I said, okay, I need to stop and sit down and read this and read this series. And I completely fell in love with it. And it turned me on to fantasy and some, and don't get me wrong. Some of it are, some of it's terrible. Um, some of the stuff, some of the fantasy books that I've read were really, really terrible. Um, but some of them were really good. Um, and the same thing kind of goes with any non, you can, you can, apply the same principles to any kind of nonfiction, whether it's a biography or an autobiography or a memoir or true crime or, you know, or a self-help book, um, you know, or a book or a book that is trying to prove a theory. Um, you know, all of those things can kind of get you thinking to try and understand. And if you can't understand it, if you, if you start reading something and you don't understand it, then that's fine. Then try and talk to somebody to see if you can, you know, understand it more, um, you know, or do some research online or see what other people's theories are. Or, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways that you can, that can help you understand the things that you're reading. Well, and I think you you actually hit on something really important because we're, you know, if we were to give three main takeaways, and this is, I think, particularly for parents, but really for anybody who wants to encourage reading or wants to read themselves, you know, read more themselves. I think the biggest thing you said there was it kind of doesn't matter what you're reading, but it you do need to read. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to meet people where they are. So, like, my daughter really loved fantasy, so, you know, go nuts, read fantasy. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people, you know, and I I mention this particularly because in my business, I deal with urban authors primarily. And a lot of the street lit, um, although that's becoming less and less of the work that I do as I'm getting more um, business people and more... uh, coaches and folks like that but the urban books are sometimes looked down upon in fact i remember going to um, a book panel at a library in atlanta a few years back and it was african-american authors and some of them really resented being put in the urban book section because they felt they were mainstream authors as opposed to urban authors even though urban is a marketing term they're not an actual Mm -hmm. you know uh, more than anything else is used as a marketing term and I thought that was really interesting but it's because they were kind of looking down on the whole concept of urban lit or street lit and in some ways I think that that is such an unfair approach to the literature you know, because people have the right to tell their own stories and not have other people tell their their stories for them. Uh-huh. And one of the things that, you know, I love about technology is it's democratized communications and it has made it so that regular people can tell their stories. And this uh-huh. is why we saw the rise of Urban Lit. Seriously. Yes, we had uh, a lot of things starting even before self-publishing where Zane and folks like that were out there you know, basically writing books on bulletin boards, but mm-hmm. just recognizing that the technology has allowed stories that otherwise might never have gotten mm-hmm. out 
if they had gotten out, they've gotten out in a truly distorted way to be told by the people who are experiencing them or who are watching them or who are imagining them. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. And so even if people are reading things like I would call trashy novels, because, you know, I love trashy novels. Mm-hmm. One of my secret vices. Yeah, um, mine too. <laughs> I, I think that we should we should embrace that. Let people read what they want to read and let them engage and let them think about it for themselves. Well, yeah. And that, you know, when you're talking about technology, I mean, that, 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 yeah, urban lit, that's kind of how urban lit, or that is how urban lit kind of came to be or how it, how it had, had its kind of resurgence, but there's a lot of books that have started like fan, fan fiction. I'm kind of, I'm baffled. Like I am fascinated with fan fiction, particularly there's a lot of Jane Austen fan fiction that started out on, on a, Jane Austen bulletin board that turned into very well-written, published, you know, really good novels that are, you know, and I'm like, wow, and this just started because they found, they found this corner of the internet with a bunch of people who really love Jane Austen. You know, I think that's, I actually think is as silly as it is, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I think, started out as a fan fiction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't care for zombies, so I was. I'm not. I'm not really either, and I, <laughs> and, 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 and I and I have read that book, and it and it, it didn't do much for me. But it's but there's a corner of the world that was very excited that this book came out. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know that gets to the second point of this though is that mm-hmm. people do read differently now. Yeah. And so it does require us to think about the way we write differently and that's a challenge for me because I know sometimes I have a tendency to use what they call a five dollar word where a two (laughs) dollar word will do and that just happens sometimes it's an accident I don't mean to uh, upset anybody when I do it but (laughs) there's something to be said about that we even see it Mm -hmm. in politics where our politicians used to use college level grammar, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and vocabulary or co- college level vocabulary, I guess would be the better way to say that. And now they don't. That's why we see some politicians being very popular these days is because mm-hmm. uh, that started being perceived as talking down to people when it was really just, well, I've got this education and this is the way I talk. You know, as opposed to now it's perceived a lot of times as talking down to people. And that's partly because we read differently now. We communicate differently now. It's much less formal. Well, and, you know, the evolution of language has been interesting the last, um, really, the last 15, 20 years is that it was, you know, in the 80s and the early 90s, it was perfectly okay um, to have, you know, to expect that in a, in a, in an atmosphere, even like if you think about a business, the business world and the business world in an atmosphere where everybody's college educated, that there would be larger words and it would be a more um, college level writing style, whether it was in a business letter or a, an internal memo or something like that. What we found in the last 20 years or so is that it's gotten simpler and simpler. There's a lot of, you know, when I was a technical writer, I saw a lot of this. My goal part of the reason why I was hired as a technical writer was to make sure that all of this really technical language that people were writing was actually pared down so that the lay reader could understand it. Um, 
And even in the even in the 12 years that I was doing that, there was a it, it became more, fr- you know, when I started, it was, well, we should assume that everybody's got about a high school level education. That's where we're writing for. And at the end, um, we were looking at a seventh or eighth grade level. And those were the instructions that we were given from the agencies that were telling us to write it. So things, you know, even punctuation has been scaled down the amount of writing has been scaled down the 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 length of the words the length you know the number of syllables using has been scaled down um all that stuff has kind of changed but that's even the idea with the blog right the blog is in and of itself a very short snippet it's a small little here's what i learned today maybe a little background story um but the blog was created to be a very short internet level snippet and I think the internet is actually the the impetus of what created all of this well yeah but at the same time like you were mentioning about the average reading level of an American adult is is sixth and seventh grade right now as of my last time that I did the research on that and that was the case before the internet so the the real issue with the writing style and the speaking style in the country has shifted because of that but the irony of what you're saying about blogs is that now long-form blogs are, and long-tail keywords uh, are driving the Internet a whole lot more than those short articles, even though the short articles still play a, a vital role. So you're seeing kind of an interesting uh, shift there as well. But if your average reading level is about sixth or seventh grade here in the United States, writers have to take that into consideration when they're you know creating their their manuscripts so that they need to target their audience so if their audience is going to be the average american adult they need to keep in mind that they're probably writing not much higher than the reading level that they would use for you know the average sixth grader yeah and i think um you know, whenever I'm writing something, because I'm one of those people that uses lots of $5 words as well, um, and that has everything to do with the fact that there's always a book in my hand or in my purse or somewhere with me. Um, but what I've, what I've started doing whenever I'm writing something is that I'll write it, I'll give my kind of first draft, and then my second draft, I go through and I simplify it. And I cut things out that I think are unnecessary and I cut out phrases that don't really need to be there um, and kind of simplify it drastically so that when you, you know, when I'm writing something, uh, it it doesn't sound significantly different than when it started as much as it's just there's a lot fewer words. Well, and that's, yeah. That's probably the most important thing. I think that's all, well, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm also seeing that novels are getting a little shorter unless you're doing high, what we might call high literature. Yeah. Um, The average novel size that I'm seeing is going down. And even for um, nonfiction, I'm seeing the book size going down to closer to 50,000 words, whereas the average was 70 to 90,000, particularly for novels. So. Just, I guess the main takeaways here, guys, is that as far as we want to get people reading, we want all of us to be reading. These days with the technology, you can carry hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of books on your phone, on your Mm -hmm. tablet device, what have you. You have tons of reading material available to you. Make sure you're reading something. Mm -hmm. 
make sure you read what you enjoy. Meet people yeah. where they are. Read what you enjoy. Don't get hung up on, oh, I've got to read this particular book because somebody said this is at the top of the New York Times bestseller list, even though I do love looking at what's on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, make sure that as we are writing for people, that people we understand that people read differently now. We may want to keep our chapters shorter if we're writing books. We may want mm-hmm. to keep our articles a little shorter unless we're purposely doing those long form articles for the internet. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, make sure that we're writing for the appropriate reading level in order to make sure that our audience can understand us. Anything else you want to add to that? No, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, and when we talk about reading, reading things that interest you and start where you are, like that can be anything that can be magazines, that can be romance novels, that can be, you know, anything start, start reading something. And if you don't know what you're interested in, think about the kinds of movies and TV shows that you like. Um, and walk into your local library and talk to a librarian and say, these are the, I, I want to start reading more. These are, the, these are the kinds of movies that I like, or these are documentaries or TV shows or whatever, and they'll be able to point you in a direction. Um, you know, their, their, their job is to make sure that they understand all, the, all, kinds of, all different kinds of books, so they'll be able to point you in a, in a direction. Um, and hopefully you can, you can kind of get started and actually, you know, and don't be, don't be ashamed of what you're reading either. If, if what you want to read is a romance novel, then read a romance novel. I mean, what, 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 what I, one of the things that I thought was most interesting about the whole e-reader, um, what, what's been happening since e-readers came out was that the, is that there's been a much higher desire for romance novels, because all of a sudden people didn't, they weren't embarrassed by what they were reading because no one could tell what they were reading. <laughs> they were reading it on their tablet and they didn't, you know, you didn't see the cover of the romance novel, um, you know, for anybody to judge them. So, you know, if, if you're worried about other people judging you, then get yourself an e-reader. They're relatively inexpensive these days and you can get everything on there. My dad gets his newspaper on his um, you can get magazines on there now. There's all kinds of stuff that you can get on an e-reader that will get you started. Or download to your phone. You know, or download to your buys, phone. Yeah, download to your phone. Yeah, apps. all the same. So, mm-hmm. so there, and the library also, um, most of the libraries also have e-book apps that you can um, actually check out e-books. So check those out. Make sure you talk to your librarian and get reading, guys. Get yeah. reading. Thanks, Julia, for joining me on True Talk. Thanks for having me. I love being here. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you guys listen to the show on August 9th when my guest will be author and speaker, Rabbi Jonasen Golson. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.